Cars, WJXLFM, Jacksonville Beach. Instant Keys, Instant Keys, you don't have to go to the dealer. Instant Keys comes to you. Instant Keys saves the day if you have lost or broken keys. They can program new keys and remotes for nearly every make and model of vehicle at a fraction of the dealership cost. Fast, honest, and reliable locksmith service. Call 722-1111. Instant Keys. Instant Keys. Hi, Jags fans. Walker Little here for my friends at Kingfish Pest Control. Playing offensive line in the NFL, I must block and protect on every down. When it comes to keeping my home pest-free, I expect that same level of protection. So I contacted Kingfish after seeing thousands of positive online customer reviews about their service. I can confirm from personal experience, bugs don't stand a chance getting past Kingfish Pest Control. Do what I did. Reach out to Kingfish Pest Control to protect your home. A proud partner of your Jacksonville Jaguars. Are you about ready to deck the halls for the holidays, but your home is cluttered with unwanted junk? Don't let the mess dampen your holiday spirit. Call J-Dog Junk Removal. And it's not just about cleaning up your space. It's about making a positive impact. You deserve a clutter-free home to celebrate in style. They're on a mission to make your holidays brighter and your home junk-free. Call now at 844-GET-JDOG or enter your zip code at jdog.com. JDog Junk Removal. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated. Life is about choices and the decisions you make. I'm David Robbins with Epstein & Robbins. If you're convicted of a DUI, you'll have to face severe consequences. Walking through the doors of the courthouse or appearing at a bond hearing can be extremely intimidating. Without the right lawyer, you're likely to make the wrong decision. Let our team help you make the right decisions in court. Epstein and Robbins, the right choice. Epstein and Robbins, fighting for your rights since 1975. This is your Mad Dad's Update with Chapter President Donald Ford. Mad Dad's is asking for good, committed men who want to be part of an organization that has been around for 17 years. We are a group that is part of the solution, not the problem. We are a group that don't stand around murmuring and complaining, but get into action and hit the streets to get the community to break the code of silence to remove the murderers off our street. We do not require a lot of time, just willing and able bodies to get involved. We've had far too many murders this year already not to get involved. If you want to be part of this great organization, call 904-718-1649. We're looking for men, not men acting like boys. Hit me on Facebook and tell me what you think. For information about Mad Dad, go to Mad Dad Jacksonville Chapter Facebook or MadDadJacksonville.com. Zone 10XL is presented by Farrah & Farrah, exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Protecting you and your family. Call 396-5555. Jacksonville. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, no, but, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here? 
with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark. And we do appreciate you staying up late with us each and every Tuesday. The new college football playoff rankings are out. We will certainly get to those in a moment. We will talk about championship weekend in the world of college football with my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. That comes up in less than 10 minutes. Also, we'll do a little Jaguar talk tonight. John Shipley of Jaguar Report, that's a part of Sports Illustrated. We'll have John on to recap the big win over Houston, but more so look ahead to Monday Night Football returning to Jacksonville for the first time in 12 years next Monday as the Cincinnati Bengals roll in. Also, the high school half hour, or I guess the high school spotlight, it's about a half hour, the high school spotlight in the 11 o'clock hour as we will talk about five area teams that are still in contention for a state championship. In fact, three of those head coaches will join us tonight. Verlin Dormany of Trinity Christian, Jamie Rogers of Bradford County, and Toby Bullock of the Mandarin Mustangs. But as we always do, to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. The four best versus the four most deserving. That could potentially be the question for the college football playoff committee come Sunday. Rankings tonight, Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Washington 3, Florida State 4. On the outside looking in, Oregon 5, Ohio State 6, Texas 7, Alabama 8. Ohio State's out. They don't play again. They're not going to get in. So you can eliminate Ohio State. There are seven teams that have a shot for these four spots. I'll make this as simple as possible, but I think it would cause the most chaos. Michigan wins. Washington wins. They're undefeated. They're in. That's half of the playoff spots gone with Michigan and Washington, assuming they win. If Alabama beats Georgia, if Texas beats Oklahoma State, and if Florida State beats Louisville, what do you do? You would think Alabama would be a shoe-in to get in, right? (coughs) One loss, SEC champion? Well, they're ranked number eight right now. Are they going to jump up four spots with a win over Georgia? Probably. So let's assume that happens. They would be screaming about that in the state of Texas. Remember, if Texas wins the Big 12, they would only have one loss too, and they beat Alabama in the regular season, and they're ranked higher than Alabama tonight in the rankings. So that could be interesting. But for the audience that we have, Georgia fan, Florida State fan, again, Michigan wins, Washington wins, they're in. Alabama beats Georgia by less than a touchdown. We'll put the Crimson Tide in. That's three. Who gets that fourth spot? The one loss defending back-to-back national champions who have been the number one team all year in the Georgia Bulldogs or the undefeated Florida State Seminoles who have a backup quarterback. Florida State would be more deserving. They're the undefeated Power 5 team. Are they better than Georgia? For that matter, are they better than Texas? Are they better than Alabama? 
That's for you to decide. That is for the committee to decide. But it's sort of fitting, and it would be fitting, if in the last year of the four-team playoff, before we expand to 12, we had a little chaos this weekend. Normally, it works itself out. Will it work itself out this weekend? We'll have to wait and see, and that's what makes the beautiful part of championship weekend in the world of college football. Let's talk about more of that with my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk college football playoff. We'll also wrap up, thank goodness, thank goodness, the Florida Gators season. A little college football talk to kick us off. Brent Beard next, Hacker After Dark, Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's 1010XL and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening and we are glad you are with us. Championship Saturday. Well, really, Championship Week begins Friday, a huge one in the Pac-12 between Washington and Oregon. And then you have all the conference championship action on Saturday, including the big one in Atlanta between the Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's talk about all of it with my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News, and you get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, my friend? Listen, it's amazing uh, how much stuff there is to keep up with right now. Um, with the coaching carousel. And we're basically a week away from now the transfer portal is ongoing uh, because players are now announcing that's where they're going. But it hasn't officially opened until next week. So in the transfer portal, we're going from probably uh, uh, 45 right now to where we're going to be going about 100 miles an hour next week. Um, And then you've got games. You've got maybe the most important decision this committee has ever made uh, or most controversial. So if you you love college football, it's a wonderful time of year. (laughs) I've known you over 20 years. I think I would call you a college football purist, right? A historian, if you will, a lover of the game. Do you like the transfer portal, Brent? Because you cannot log on to social media for one minute right now and not seeing a kid enter the portal. Well, uh, I mean, if I had my druthers, um, uh, I wish we could put the genie back in the bottle. But, I mean, it's just one of those things I've, I have accepted. Now, I can see the some of the positive benefits of it because, you, like a, a Florida State, I mean, you can basically create a not necessarily a totally different team, but a lot of your roster uh, can be changed for the better. Um, so I can certainly understand that. But Hank, do you have some feelings for uh, some of these schools that are just basically getting raided? Uh, I mean, you know, Troy, South Alabama, Southern Miss, uh, FIU. I mean, just just name one, uh, and I know that's kind of the nature of the beast right now, but got to feel a little bit for those schools too, don't we? Yeah, there's no question. Like you said, it's not even really open yet. I mean, it's open halfway after championship Saturday. It's going to be bombarded. But, again, you log on to 
social media right now, and there's a kid every five minutes from somewhere sure. in the country entering right. the transfer right. portal. All right, let's quickly get to Florida. They don't deserve that much of our time. Uh, that was embarrassing on Saturday night, not from an on-the-field uh, football product, but uh, all I hear about is culture, Brent. That's what people want to say. They're building a culture down there, and I got a kid hocking a loogie in somebody's face and getting ejected. I got two defensive backs trying to kill Tate Rodemaker when he dives down five yards short of a first down. One gets targeting. He gets ejected. I got Eugene Wilson violently shoving his coach's hand off his shoulder when the coach yeah. was trying to prevent him from getting in a fight. Um, that was embarrassing, quite frankly, for the Orange and Blue on Saturday night. Well, I think the lack of discipline, as you're talking about, is a problem. And, and I think a bigger problem is is when Billy Napier, uh, who, I, who I admit I have supported, um, it says uh, when he's asked about discipline problems in the press conference, well, give me an example. Uh, well, I mean, in, in this like Ford State game, you could give him a, a half a dozen examples. So, and look, case in point, the spitting in the face is, uh, I mean, nobody does that. Uh, and, and and you've got to be, you know, you hate to say it, but it's just reality. You've got to make an example of him somehow. And the, the biggest thing that did was the momentum that it gave Florida State, because at that point they were dead in the water. So, um, but, it, it, but still, with all that said, here's a team that's five and seven, and they're not going anywhere, which may be a blessing for them right now. Um, but who could easily, couldn't they hack, who could easily be seven and five or eight and four? Um, and then the latest thing is parting ways with uh, defensive line coach Sean Spencer and Corey Raymond. Now, look, someone explained the Corey Raymond thing to me because when he got Corey Raymond from LSU – I mean, when, look, when Corey Raymond was, LA, with, was with LSU, I mean, Hank, as you know, he was basically the recruiter of the year uh, on, on multiple years. I know at some point you've got to make some changes, and it's good that he does, and he's still got to hire an offensive coordinator, special teams coach. But uh, that, that one left me scratching my head. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here. On Hacker After Dark, I'll explain it to you the best way I can. Recruiting's fine, but the Gator DBs were terrible. Um, I mean, I got so tired of watching Jason Marshall and Jalen Kember get beat week after week after week, and and Jalen Kember on Saturday night, uh, good heavens, on the the Benson touchdown run, um, he made a business decision there. It's like he didn't even try. It was was unbelievable. So you got to make an example out of somebody. I understand Raymond's a great recruiter, and that's all fine and well. But when you allow 700 yards to LSU, when you allow K.J. Jefferson and Arkansas to do whatever they want to you, when you get embarrassed by Georgia and, and you know, Kentucky runs for 260 yards, I mean, you got to do something. So I don't necessarily even fault Napier for that. And I also wonder if Austin Armstrong went to Billy and said, hey, you hired me at the 11th hour. These aren't even the guys I want to work with. Right. Let me bring right. in my own defensive staff. That's the way I'm right. kind of rationalizing this. Well, well, and that's fair. I, I I get that. And I think part of the mistake they made with Raymond 
is he ended up coaching basically all the defensive backs to a degree, and that and it was just too much. So, but but at this point, um, I, and I'm not saying the whole staff will be overhaul, but but there will be a lot of them, uh, and frankly, uh, that's on that old category of. Uh, we're going to do something to shake this up because it just because we just need to change. Yeah, last thought on Florida. I put this out on social media Saturday. Don't be happy that it happened. Be happy that it's over. And I think that's where a lot of Gator fans are right now. I just yeah. think they're happy they don't have to watch this for another you know seven or eight months. They'll start Jones and Ford around the spring, and hopefully they get a good recruiting class. But I think a lot of Gator fans that I know – just need a break from this nonsense. Yeah. It was tough to watch over the last five games. All right, the committee is going to decide the four-team playoff, Brent, on Sunday. Uh, a lot's going to happen, obviously, Friday night and Saturday. But let's play a hypothetical. And I talked about this last night. Is it the four best teams that should get in or the four most deserving teams that should get in? Because I believe a nightmare scenario, Brent, for the committee Washington wins, they're undefeated, they're in. Mm-hmm. All right. Michigan wins, they're undefeated, they're in. Half the spots are gone. If Alabama knocks Georgia off by a touchdown or less in Atlanta, Alabama's got to be in. They're the one-loss SEC champion that just beat Georgia. So now you have Alabama in, you have Washington in, you have Michigan in. You have one spot left. Do you give it to the undefeated Florida State Seminoles with a backup quarterback who might be more deserving, or do you give it to the back-to-back defending national champion who lost by a field goal in Georgia who are clearly better than Florida State? Brent Beard, your thoughts. Or do you go with Texas, uh, who has had their best year in a while if they beat uh, Oklahoma State? Now, I've been in the uh, – they have these mock committees – and I, I was there in 2018, uh, and it was it was a tremendously fascinating experience, just to see all the data that they go by and how they do how they form what they said. And basically, the committee is charged with who are the four best teams, and that's what we heard in the uh, uh, when we were in that room together. Uh, so. Is that still in vogue, or has that changed? And what you don't know is, uh, with these committees, where do they go and what do they do uh, from committee to committee is uh, oftentimes a mystery. I mean, you've heard nothing out of this committee, and you won't uh, until later when this is over. Uh, So, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could go. Uh, with this, I understand the Texas argument. Um, I also understand that if Alabama wins and they beat Georgia, who's the number one team, they've got a, a, a big argument there too. So it, what is unusual about this act this year is we have not had the upsets that we normally do uh, because some of this would have been already um, figured out by now, but it hasn't been – so because of that, um, we are awaiting uh, uh, the most difficult decision this committee has ever made. And how, how ironic it is um, that, that it, if we fast-forwarded a year, 
heck, we, we wouldn't. We we would barely even be having this conversation, would we? It, it would just be about seeding more than who's getting in. Yeah, that's what I talked about last night. Denmark and I had a conversation, and and we were saying, well, you know, it's going to be the last year of chaos. And and Denmark goes, well, no, you know, next year Team Thirteen will be upset. And I said, yeah, they might be. But if you're nine and three, I don't care if you're upset. Okay, you lost twenty five percent of your games. You yep. might be upset that your team thirteen, but you're nine and three. Who cares? This mm-hmm. year, there's a legitimate chance that a twelve and one, or dare I say, even a thirteen and zero, will be left out, and you'll never right. see this scenario happen again. No, well, and see what if you're a if you're a Florida State fan, the reason I would be uh, concerned. Uh, would be because of uh, what you would have. How how's the how is the committee going to view uh, um, the conference, and would they get penalized because uh, this is not uh, the greatest of conferences? So uh, there are there are a lot of factors involved with this hack um, uh, that are going to. Be, that are really going to be fascinating to see what this committee comes up with. Final moments here with Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You always get him weekly right here as well on Hacker After Dark. All right, Brent, let's take this in slices. Let's go rapid fire. we got a couple of minutes left. In the Pac-12 on Friday night, Washington wins. I think they're safe to assume that they're in the undefeated Pac-12 champion. The Pac-12 has been very good this year. They're ranked right. higher than Florida State anyway right now. If Oregon wins on Friday night, do they have an argument? Well, I think they do. And I think that for, if you're going by the eye test, and the committee chairman has mentioned this, and also the control factor, but if you're looking at the eye test, who is playing better right now, Washington or Oregon? Well, it's Oregon. Oregon is playing better. Uh, and if they win um, – uh, obviously, that would be the huge thing there. Uh, but then you'd have a um, a, a Washington team uh, that, that would have an argument too. So that that's a great point. And that and that game is a Friday night game. People need to um, be clued into that. Uh, and they had a barn burner the last time, and I can see the same thing going on too. But I I, I tell you this. Uh, uh, there aren't very many quarterbacks playing better than Bo Nix is right now, are they? He's been fantastic. There's no question about that. All right, the Big 12. You mentioned Texas, and that's interesting because people tend to forget about them. If Texas wins, they have that win over Alabama, all right? So that that could be interesting. Does Texas have an argument if they win the Big 12? Yeah, they would, Uh, yes. Uh, Now, where the... Where it really gets sticky is if Alabama wins and Texas wins, and those two are the final it, that that your final team is an Alabama Texas argument. Uh, now that would be really fascinating fascinating on Twitter, <laughs> wouldn't it? Hack Saturday night and Sunday morning before it's announced. But that's your reality. Now Texas is playing well. Now, see, Oklahoma State is like 20th. So would Texas be penalized by um, 
even beating an Oklahoma State that was 20th when Alabama beat a number one team. So, I mean, uh, uh, we're just throwing scenarios out here uh, as to um, – which makes you – makes you you know, these people who say, boy, I'd love to be a member of that committee. Would you really want to do that this weekend? There's no doubt. I mean, let's get to the SEC game, all right? Do you believe, Brent Beard, that Georgia has to win to get in? Now, obviously, if chaos happens all over the country, it changes. But let's say chalk holds in a lot of places. Do you believe Georgia needs to win to get into the playoff? Look, I've even seen arguments from Georgia beat writers who have said that they need to uh, really win in order to get in. That's almost hard to believe for a team that's been basically number one the whole year and and have, and have had very few close games. I mean, I know the Georgia Tech game was based on an eight-point win, but none of us believed that Georgia Tech was going to win that game. So, um, uh, so I mean, that's kind of where you are. I mean, that that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it, Hack? That, that Georgia could be left out if they lost by a field goal. But, I mean, you've got some of that possibility going around. All right, Brent, as we wrap up, we'll get more into the coaching carousel next week So it's going to be spinning more out of control by the time we talk again mm-hmm. next week. Quickly, because I'm fascinated by this. All right, the Pac-12 champion, whether it's Washington or Oregon, for argument's sake, to make this easy, we'll say Washington wins, we'll say Michigan wins, Texas wins, Florida State wins, Alabama beats Georgia. Who are you putting in the four-team playoff? Boy, um, I'm glad I don't have that decision, to be honest with you. I, I mean, it, 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 I mean, Michigan would be easy. Washington would be easy. Um, to me, I think Florida State goes in. So you do um, think they go in even with Rodemaker? Because that's that, that's my argument is that if Alabama beats Georgia and Texas beats Oklahoma State, right, again, right. is Florida State one of the best? They're they're the most deserving because they didn't lose, but is it most deserving or is it truly the four best right now? Well, that's what, and again, that's what we don't know. And the other thing that that, that I'm asking out loud is, I mean, Florida State would have done everything they could do. Right. There's nothing else they could do but be on on what they did. And that would be terribly unfair with them uh, if they don't get in. But the question in this is, too, is how would Florida State and the ACC be looked upon uh, with it? Now, now what what helped Florida State was beating LSU. I mean, LSU, uh, although they're certainly not undefeated, uh, there are a lot of teams that don't want to play LSU right now. I can assure you of that. So, basically, I think, again, you would have, uh, if, if you got chalk uh, with some of these games, um, those teams would go in, uh, but you're going to have at least, heck, what? You're going to at least have one I think very controversial. Whoever the four seed is, is the one that's going to be controversial uh, with this, or we could, or it could be even more than that if we have multiple upsets. I'll tell you this: Florida State needs to be big Georgia fans. 
because I think if Georgia wins, that doesn't complicate things as much because then you would have four undefeateds, That's right? True. You would have yes. Washington, Michigan, Georgia, mm-hmm. Florida State, and then the argument would be you just take the four unbeatens. Where it gets complicated or messy is if Oregon beats Washington or, heaven forbid, for the Knowles, Alabama beats Georgia – and then you got a real nail-biter going into Sunday morning. But that's what makes it fun. It's the last year of the four-team playoff. As we said, this time next year, we wouldn't be having this argument because all these teams would be in a 12-team scenario. Brent Beard's with us, First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, we'll do it again next week. I know you'll be submitting your Heisman vote next week. We'll kind of take a look at the finalists, and we won't give away your vote, but we'll just kind of get your mindset going into that, and we'll talk about the playoff and how it all shook out, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, Heisman vote due next Monday at 5 o'clock. That's the deadline, and as I go out here, I'll leave you with one more. What happens if in a snowstorm Iowa upsets Michigan uh, 10-7? to (laughs) Where? Where would we be then? <laughs> that would be, you know what, we haven't even talked about that, but that could play. There's no question. It's going to be fun to watch. Thank you, my friend. Absolutely, bud. Take care. There you go, Brent Beard. You get him every week right here on Hacker After Dark. Some more college football talk. Again, the rankings out tonight. Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Washington 3, and indeed Florida State coming in at number 4. Oregon 5, Ohio State 6, but they're done because they don't play this weekend. And then Texas 7, Alabama 8. You got seven teams still alive for those four spots. And we'll see if we get chaos, if we get chalk, if we get somewhere in the middle when these championship games start kicking off, beginning with the Pac-12 championship game on Friday evening. To the National Football League we go, John Shipley of Jaguar Report, does a terrific job covering the Jaguars. I want to talk with John about the Texans game and certainly look ahead to Monday Night Football. First time in 12 years the Jaguars will host a Monday night game here in the city of Jacksonville as the Cincinnati Bengals come rolling in. So Jaguar talk on the on-deck circle, the high school spotlight in the 11 o'clock hour as well. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us Tuesday night here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars now 8-3 and three on the year after a huge division road win in Houston, and they get ready for Monday night football. That's right, Monday night football returns to Duval County for the first time in over a decade when the Cincinnati Bengals roll in next Monday. With that, let's talk with John Shipley, my buddy of Jaguar Report, does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. John, how you doing? Hey, doing good, my friend. How you doing? John, we're good. You and I talked two weeks ago, and at that point, the sky was falling. San Francisco had just beat the Jaguars 34-3, and Jaguar fans didn't know what to do. But two humongous division wins later over Tennessee and Houston. They're now 8-3, and three, controlling the South right now. And, boy, now a huge opportunity coming up next Monday when the Bengals roll in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it really shows, you know, that the NFL truly is. You know, I know I say this a lot when I come on, but it's a week-to-week league. Like, people are going to be riding 
the emotions uh, and highs and lows of each and every game. And it really is, you know, a test of endurance, a test of fortitude for teams to really be standing tall after, you know, 17, 18 weeks. Yeah, you know, I, I I think for the Jaguars, you know, what they're showing is they're peaking at the right time. You know, uh, under Doug Peterson, they're 11-4 and four in November, December, and January games. Two of those losses came at Kansas City last year to the eventual Super Bowl champions. And one of those losses came to San Francisco this year, who right now probably looks like arguably the best team in the NFL. So overall, you know, Doug Peterson's done a great job really, you know, turning it up and getting this team to focus and dial in when the chips are really on the table and when the games really count at this point in the season. And I, I, I think, you know, all, all the credit, you know, obviously to him and the players, but especially you know, to Peterson for just having them prepared and having them their their ability to bounce back after that 49ers loss. Because, you know, a lot, you, since then, you know, that the offense obviously, you know, really poor showing against the 49ers. It, they really got killed, you know, in national and local media in a week after that. But since then, two of the best offensive performances back-to-back. John, I'll tell you, that Houston team's pretty good, man. I, I mean, I knew their record. I knew about Stroud. But I didn't realize they were as good as they looked. They're going to be something to to reckon with here in the coming years. I I, I think it's going to be one of the best you know rivalries in the NFL for years. You know, I think it's going to be up there with Kansas City and Cincinnati and uh, Baltimore and Cincinnati and you know uh, Dallas and Philadelphia. I, I really think that you know when you have two young franchise quarterbacks who are able to any given week, you know, get into a shootout and, you know, really, you know, a classic like duel. I, I just think that's good for the game. It's good for fans. It's good for both teams. And I mean, really, this is what Jaguars and Houston fans have wanted for years, you know, meaningful games in week 12, because that, that was a playoff game yesterday. That felt like a playoff game. It felt like a heavyweight fight. And, you know, credit obviously to both teams for getting there because Houston's not going to go away. You know, it's not a flash in the pan. They hit on the quarterback. They hit on the head coach. They hit, uh, on Will Anderson, I know he didn't, you know, have as much of an impact yesterday, but they 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 have a lot of, you know, hit a hit on Tank Bell. They have a lot of exciting young pieces on that team, and I think you know you're looking at two of the better, you know, teams moving forward in the AFC between those two. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, Trevor Lawrence in the last two weeks has thrown for over 620 yards, has thrown for three touchdowns, and also run for three additional touchdowns. Correlation there that Zay Jones is back over the last two games, or is that just a coincidence? I I don't think it's a complete coincidence. I mean, you're seeing the Jaguars air it out more. Uh, you know, the last two games, I think their air yards per attempt, you know, the two highest games they've had this year have been the last two weeks. I think that's part of it. You know, they're able to move around Calvin Ridley a little bit more. I, I, I do think it's big because defenses at least have to respect Zay Jones. You know, when the Jaguars are putting Tim Jones or Elijah Cooks or Jamal Agnew out there, teams didn't really have to, you know, pay them as much respect. But now the Jaguars are just, you know, they're having so many different options. Uh, defenses don't really know where they're going to go with the ball. And defenses can't commit to Calvin Ridley as much as they had in the first half of the season. So on, on that hand, I think it's big. But on the other hand, I mean, over the last two weeks, you know, five catches for 30 yards. It's it's an interesting situation because it's not like he himself is really producing or, you know, doing, you know, the ball's not going his way a lot. But the, the offense has simply looked different with him in the lineup. So there, there's obviously something to it. I'm not exactly sure, you know, how to put my finger on it. But there's, there's obviously has to be something to it. 
You know, John, we sat here when the trade deadline came and went, and people were upset that they didn't get a pass rusher, and we'll get to that in a moment. But they did get Ezra Cleveland, and at the time you're thinking, all right, well, that's weird. Why would they do that? And then Cam Robinson goes down against Houston, and it's no problem because you move Walker Little out to what may be his natural position at left tackle. You bring Ezra Cleveland in, who started 42 games at left guard for the Minnesota Vikings, and the offensive line didn't miss a beat. Now, at the time you and I are talking, we don't have complete clarification on Cam yet, but my goodness, what a move by Balky and shoring up the depth on that O-line. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It, you know, that move is one that, you know, had obviously been panned for a couple of weeks to, you know, especially at the 49ers game, you know, due to the pass rush and due to the fact that he wasn't yet, you know, playing for an obviously, you know, struggling offensive line. But yet, yesterday shows why moves like that are, you know, really impactful, why they can go a long way. You know, you obviously don't ever like to prepare for, you know, a potential starting left tackle going down. But the fact that the Jaguars, like you said, were able to move two guys to two different positions and, you know, didn't have any drop off to me, you know, says a lot about their offensive line depth. I mean, I thought Cleveland played a really good game. That block he had on the Ernest Johnson's uh, screen, his big, you know, catch and run to set up Ridley's touchdown, I thought was, you know, exactly why they went out and got a guy like that. A guy who just fits their system, really athletic, can do what they like to do along the offensive line. So I, I, I think, you know, for any other team, you know, I'll, we'll get the news on Cam Robinson's knee at some point today. Uh, for any other team, it'd be the biggest, you know, story post game. But for the Jaguars, it's obviously something to watch, but it's not really anything that feels like it's going to hinder what they do in these next couple of weeks because, like you said, you know, they have the pieces in place to really kind of offset a loss like that. John Shipley, you read his terrific work there at Jaguar Report. He also does the podcast weekly, I think twice weekly, that we'll get to in a moment. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. You know, you look at the offensive line, John, and again, is it are they playing the Bosa brothers and are they playing Miles Garrett? No, but the Titans' D-line is pretty good. The Texans' D-line has been playing pretty good. And, boy, Trevor Lawrence has had some clean pockets the last two games. I mean, it looks like the offensive line is pass-protecting the best maybe they have all year. Yeah, no, so Lawrence has only been sacked once in the last two games, and that was a play where he scrambled and ran out of bounds like a yard short of the marker. So he really hasn't been touched all that much in the last two weeks. And like you said, these, these aren't, you know, against two, you know, elite pass rushers or anything like that, but it's not bad units. You know, Jonathan Greenard, Will Anderson have had really good years. Malik Collins and Sheldon Rankins is a good interior duo. I mean, they, the, the Titans, Jeffrey Simmons, Anika Autry, Arden Key, Harold Landry, like these are good players on both defensive lines. So I, I think – especially in the wake of that week 10 game against the 49ers where the offensive line was really, you know, it seemed like them and Press Taylor were the two places people were going to the most to, you know, really hone in on in terms of criticism. I, I, I feel like both have really rebounded, you know, really well, and especially, you know, the offensive line. I mean, these last two weeks have been their best, you know, two-week stretch of the season. John, speaking of the lines of scrimmage, let's move to the Jaguars' D-line. Josh Allen was a ferocious monster. In Houston, uh, particularly in the fourth quarter, he was darn near unblockable. You want to talk about the dollar signs that are flowing in his camp right now with the way that he's playing. That guy is going to get paid. He deserves it. And he is having by far and away the best year of his career. Yeah, no, 100%. And 
it's getting to the point now where, you know, he's a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, you know, 12 sacks, 22 quarterback hits. He's a top pass rusher in terms of pressures and win rate. You know, I think next-gen stats yesterday said he had 12 pressures and eight of them came against Laramie Tunsil, who had they said had never allowed more than four pressures through a single pass rusher in a game before. I mean, that that was an elite left tackle that he beat up yesterday, and he beat him up frequently. And it, it started early in the game. You know, he, he got a big, you know, quarterback hit in the first drive of the game. Second drive of the game, uh, he draws a holding on first down. And on second down, he gets a quarterback hit to force Stroud, you know, to throw an incompletion. Third down, he gets pressure to fourth and incompletion. He he was all over the field yesterday. Games like that, I feel like, are games where you need your blue chip players, you know, your best players, your S-tier players to really stand out. And Josh Allen is one of those players. Him and Trevor Lawrence are the two best players on this roster, and he's deserving of all the flowers he's getting and more. And, you know, I, it, it wasn't long ago. I remember that a lot of people were, you know, frustrated that he wasn't there for uh, OTAs or minicamp, and it sure seems like whatever he did uh, seemed to have worked. Yeah, there's absolutely no question about that. A couple more for John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, I want to get to Cincinnati and look into the future in one second, but when that field goal hit the crossbar in Houston, the Jaguars won, but there was a lot of celebration on that sideline. I think the guys knew that was a big one on the road there in Houston. They now have a stranglehold on the AFC South. Oh, yeah, 100%. One thing I think Doug Peterson has done well is to, you know, get the team to understand that, you know, the biggest game is the next game and to not make too much or too little of any game. I think, you know, you look back at the 2018 Jaguars and it was obvious that they had made beating the Patriots early on in the year, their Super Bowl, and they put all their emotional energy into that week and then they just fell flat after. I feel like this team does a good job of doing the opposite, but you could definitely tell that they knew yesterday was a big game, a statement game. I, I think they had been hearing all the, you know, national praising of Houston and CJ Stroud. And I, you know, think they really saw yesterday as a chance to kind of win back some of that respect that they had thought maybe had been lost. Well, I'll tell you, it's a good thing they've been winning all this time because for all the people that were knocking the AFC South coming into the year, they have three teams that are above 500 after Thanksgiving and three teams that are in legit playoff contention with Indy and Houston. And Indy is six and three against teams not named Jacksonville. So, boy, the division's been good. So it's been a good thing the Jaguars have been very good this year. Yeah, no, Titans are the only team in the AFC South without, you know, a winning record right now. So it's definitely, you know, looking like a division that's on the upswing. You know, you have franchise quarterbacks in Jacksonville and Houston. I know Anthony Richardson didn't play a lot this year, but his flashes were really impressive. I mean, you have three teams really with a lot going right for them. And then you have uh, Tennessee, who it looks like might be in a cellar here for a little bit. John, we heard Josh Allen say it in the postgame locker room yesterday that he's never played on Monday night football. In fact, a lot of these guys have never played on Monday night football. Trevor Lawrence included. Monday night football returns to Jacksonville for the first time in over a decade when Cincinnati rolls in here on Monday. Now it's going to be a Joe Burrow-less Cincinnati team they look like they're in free fall but they still got some good players right with Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon it's going to be a test but what an atmosphere that should be next Monday down at Everbank Stadium oh 100 percent and it, it's you know this is my space you're covering the team this will be my first you know Monday night game it's a, it's a big first for a lot of t- uh, people in that building and I think it's a big night for the organization you know to kind of show that they're getting back and 
the national spotlight a little bit after a decade or so deservedly, you know, being out of it. So definitely a big night for them. You know, it doesn't have the same luster as it would have with Burrow playing, but definitely still a big game. Should be a competitive game. You know, yeah, Jake Browning obviously is, is no Burrow, but the Bengals still have a talented roster, so it should be a good game. Well, that's kind of my point all week and what I'm going to talk about all week. Joe Burrow, obviously, but this Cincinnati team is desperate. They're 5-6. and six. They have Super Bowl aspirations, or at least they did prior to the Burrow injury. You know the guys in there still do in that locker room. They almost have to win this game, John. I mean, it's going to be a desperate Bengal football team in here on Monday night. Yeah, no, 100%. That, that's the thing. You know, you can never take anything as a certainty in the NFL. You know, anybody can be anybody any given week. I mean, a Jets led by Zach Wilson with this putrid offense they have beat the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, a month ago. So you never know what's going to happen. So it, it will take, you know, the same amount of preparation and detail the Jaguars had to beat the Texans. This is what they're going to need, you know, to beat uh, the Bengals, even if it's obviously a different team. John, tell us about the podcast. Tell us about Jaguar Report. What can people look forward to leading up to the Cincinnati game next Monday? Yeah, you can hear us at the Jaguar Report podcast. We record twice a week. We'll record later today, kind of, you know, reviewing and wrapping up yesterday's game. And then later on Friday this week to talk about the Bengals game. And then, you know, just continue to uh, follow Jaguar Report on Twitter, si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. You know, daily stories. I have, a, I have a great staff, you know, really uh, churning out good content, and we'll be there every day to try to give you guys the best Jaguars coverage possible. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. That's a part of Sports Illustrated. He does an absolutely terrific job, and we always appreciate him joining us here on 1010XL. John, thank you, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Appreciate you, my friend. And the high school spotlight rolls on 1010XL and 92 Point five FM. It is state final four week, and we have five area teams that are still standing. It has been a very impressive showing by Northeast Florida this year. One of those area teams is Bradford County. The Tornadoes remain undefeated as they knock off Baker County to advance to another state final four. Their head coach is Jamie Rogers, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how we doing? Doing great. Uh, how are you today, Hacker? Coach, we're great. And look, Baker County, that's a good football team. You had to play them twice. It was a tough battle in the regular season. Man alive, you guys came out last Friday and really put it all together in that victory. Yeah, yeah, we played really well in, in all three phases again. We uh, we talked a lot this year. We, we've been talking a lot this year about peaking at the right time. I thought we I thought we peaked around week eight, week nine last year. Um, we changed around some things. Um you know, physical preparation wise and lifting wise. And I made some adjustments in the middle of the season. And, uh, it just seems like some of those things that have worked and with this particular group. And, uh, it, it seems like we're playing our best ball right now. Coach, we'll obviously get to the future in a moment, the state final four, but 13 and O is 13 and O. I mean, have you taken a moment in the last couple of days to think, wow, I mean, 13 and O, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, I try, I've, especially the little bit older I get, you know, I try to, uh, I try to, you know, stop and, and enjoy it a little bit more, you know, and and watch my kids run around on the on the field after the game and, and hang out with them a, a little bit after the game and just this things like that. But uh, yeah, reflecting on this year, it, it's been it's been a great two year run. Um, I'm not ready for it to end, but you know, uh, within the next 
10, 12, 14 days, the whole season's going to be over, you know. So I think it is important to do what you talked about and and, and stay in the moment a little bit and, and try to take it all in. And we've tried to do that. Jamie Rogers, the head coach of Bradford County, as they get ready for their state semifinal coming up on Friday night against Pensacola Catholic. Before we get there, Coach, I mentioned five teams. You guys, St. Augustine, Mandarin, Bowles, and Trinity, all still alive and all in your respective state final four games. Well, what does that say about the caliber of football here in Northeast Florida? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what we've always known. You know, they've, uh, it, you know, the adjustment adjustment to uh, suburban and metro ha- has definitely um, impacted the, the smaller area schools like ourselves. Um, you know, that maybe this opportunity at, at, at you know, earlier points may have, may have not been to take advantage of. But, uh, you know, um, it's the usual names that are always there. Those are great programs that you just mentioned, and they always play really good football. And we have good football up here in, in the Jacksonville area and the surrounding rural counties always play good, tough football and physical football. And, um, you know, that's what it takes uh, to go on the road if you have to do that or, or to win physical football games this time of year. That There's no soft teams that are going to that are gonna be still competing uh, at this time of year. So, um, yeah, I think it does speak to the, the high quality of football we have here in this area. Coach Pensacola Catholic will make the six-hour drive down I-10 to come to Bradford on Friday night. What do we know about Pensacola Catholic? Well, you know, I spent some time in the Panhandle um, uh, late late 2009-2010 in that area. And, um, I mean, the one thing that's constant about them, they're always here at this time. Um, you know, over the last 10, 12 years, whatever it is, 15 years, they've uh, they, they've always seemed to be in this spot. And, uh, you know, they, it, it, this will be this will be one of the biggest teams. If anybody wants to come out and watch, watch a, a huge football team run out on the field, this will be the biggest football team I've competed against since uh, American Heritage in 2017. They're they're huge at every position. Um, they do it the right way. They're physical. That's why they're still around. And, um, you know, they got really good football players scattered on both sides of the ball. So um, it, it, it's going. I'm, I'm, I'm going to prepare our kids for a war because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be physical the entire game. And uh, they, they're a very good football program, and they're always here at this time of year for a reason. Final moments with Jamie Rogers of Bradford County. Coach, what does it mean to be at home? They got to make the six hour drive and they got to come play you in a home field that, quite frankly, is one of the best in the area. Yeah, I mean, that's for us, that was, that was huge. You know, that's that's one of the reasons we wanted to finish the, you know, the year 10 and 0 and, and to try to get in one of those top two spots. It, it, it's huge um, this time of year trying to get travel plans, trying to get buses. They're probably going to stay overnight. I'm not sure if they are or not, but all that takes time during the week that, that takes away from your mental preparation of what you want to be doing. And that's the, that's the big key of having home field advantage. And like you said, our, our atmosphere to me is second to none in our area. What, what the, the folks here pull off with the, the pregame and uh, during game and end game and third down situations and just everything that, that football is supposed to be about small town, high school football is supposed to be about unbelievable atmosphere. And I'm sure glad we're going to be at our place Friday. Coach, finally, you've been here before, right? Just 365 days ago, and it ended for your team in the state semis last year. How much motivation, how much will you call back on that game to remind the kids of that? What does last year's experience do for you guys on Friday night? Yeah, I still got the scores, uh, the revenge scores on the board. Uh, You know, one of them was week 11 with Swanee, um, and then one of them was final four week. Those scores are still up on the board that our kids look at every day when they're lifting weights. So it's still, it's, it's a, it's, you know, 
the motivation factor I, I think is there. You know, they, they, they committed themselves over the summer. We, we ran, there's no telling how much we ran, how much we lifted. Um, and, and we still lift during class every day to get ready for these moments. And, um, you know, there'll be a small part of revenge, but once the game gets kicked off and the physicality starts, that'll go out the window and it'll just be about, you know, two teams trying to get to the state championship game. Jamie Rogers of Bradford County. Coach, invite them out if people are looking for a ball game on Friday night. Like you said, Pensacola Catholic, Bradford, you guys are going to have a whale of a game and it'll be a great environment down there. Oh, yeah, I have no idea um, of the other guys or anybody that's at, at home um, with our, our local teams. But if, if your team's not at home and, and you're looking for um, a great place to watch a, a high school football game and the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable, come on out to Bradford. Coach, best of luck on Friday night in the state Final Four, and I certainly hope I'm talking to you next week, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you, Acker. I appreciate you. And thank you to Jamie Rogers of Bradford County as they get ready to host Pensacola Catholic in a state Final Four matchup on Friday night. Another state Final Four matchup on Friday night. We'll see Trinity Christian heading down to Clearwater. Verlin Dormany is the head coach of Trinity Christian. Another state Final Four appearance, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, how you doing? I'm great, Hacker, man. It's uh, fun being out prepared for these ball games, you know, this late in the year. There's no doubt about that, and you've had two very good performances in the postseason. Is your team playing some of the best football of the year right now? You know, I really think we are. We finally got our uh, offensive line back healthy or healthy enough to be playing football. <laughs> and then, uh, um, you know, I just think we've uh, we started playing together better, you know, as a, as a football team. Coach, five teams in our area are playing in their classification state final four. It's you guys, Bowles, Mandarin, Bradford, and St. Augustine. What does that say, Coach, to the caliber of high school football in our area? You know, I mean, honestly, it says a lot, you know, that you put five teams and uh, what, there's eight classifications in the uh, in the M's and the S's, so there's only, you know, um, eight possibilities, really, or really 16 possibilities, and we have five of the spots. That's that tells you a lot. It's good football around this area. There's no doubt about that. It's been a great season, a great postseason run so far. Again, Verlin Dormany is the head coach at Trinity Christian. Coach, up and down year for you, but I think you kind of like that because you schedule ridiculous opponents. You know that. You know that going into the year. You do that to get your kids ready for the postseason. That ridiculous schedule, hard schedule that you played, do you feel like it did what you needed it to do to get you guys ready for a game like Friday night? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, uh, we were talking about that in the coaches meeting and we were just talking about, you know, if we, if we don't lose the game to uh, Riverside, like we did. And, uh, then, you know, of course all, everybody was upset and not happy and came back in as a, um, as a team on that Monday. And, um, I think the kids just finally said, okay, hey, you know what? Enough's enough. We need to, uh, we need to write this ship and they have, you know, and they haven't, they haven't come close to getting beat. You know, we were just played some good football. Um, even against UC, the kids pretty much dominated the game. We made a few mistakes there, but they, we did a good job. You know, I haven't asked you about this uh, in a year at least. I don't even remember if we had this conversation last year or not. You're certainly one of the voices in high school football that matter. And, and the Metro Suburban thing, Coach, I mean, you got to go to Clearwater, obviously, because you're a Metro and they're Metro. Um, do you like what the FHSAA has done there? It's in year number two now, or do you think maybe it needs to be looked at as we move further along? 
you know, I, you're not ever, it's just like everything else, you know, even playing football, you're not going to make everybody happy at the same time. So no matter what they do, somebody's going to be happy and somebody's not going to be happy. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I mean, I like it better when we had, you know, A classifications and, you know, you had your 1A and your rule, then you went your 2, 3, 4, all the way up to 8. And, you know, it doesn't matter who you are across the uh, state. If you're in that uh, population category, then, you know, you play each other. Um, so whether, you know, you're in uh, Clearwater down in the uh, Tampa area or you're over in the Panhandle and playing, uh, um, you know, something like Pensacola Catholic or something like that. So, uh, you know, I think it's just uh, – um, I just don't think you have a true champion with the M's and the S's, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I've all, I've often wondered, again, it's only been two years, but if the FHSCA wanted to spice things up a little bit, do what you're doing now, which I guess is fine, the M's and the S's, but then schedule the Metro champion versus the Suburban champion to be the actual state champion. I don't know if we'll ever get to that point, but I think, Coach, that would be fascinating. You know what? I mean, add another week to the season, uh, but you're right. Then, then you, now you have a true champion. And uh, guess what? Everybody else makes money. So, you know, a lot of times that's what it's all about anyway, money. <laughs> Verlin <laughs> Dormany of Trinity Christian. Well, let's talk about the state final four matchup on Friday. You guys got to go to Clearwater. They're very good. I believe they're undefeated. Obviously, that you're speaks right. for itself. What are the challenges going into that environment and playing that team on Friday? You know, I, I think a lot of it is you watch film over the weekends. Uh, you know, they are good. Uh, they beat a very good uh, Carrollwood Day team that uh, uh, has got some really good athletes on it. Uh, I know I talked to uh, some guys at uh, Florida State, and uh, they're recruiting several kids off that Carrollwood Day team. So for them, they were down 14 uh, at one time, came back, got ahead, was down again with like three or four minutes left to go and then drove back down the field, kicked the field goal, won it. Uh, it says a lot about them. I mean, they've been in some really, really tough situations here. They beat some really good football teams. Um, you know, so – and, and you know, whenever you take kids on a bus and you travel four hours and try to get off the play, nah, that's not, that's hard. So, you know, you got to get ready to go um, <clears throat> all week long. you got to start preparing mentally today. Uh, for what you got to do on Friday. And uh, yes, hopefully when you get off the bus, your kids are ready to play and they're not sluggish and they do a good job. Wrapping things up with Verlin Dormany. Obviously, you have immense experience in games like this. You're upperclassmen too. I mean, you guys play big football at Trinity. You take them on bus rides, you know, three and four hours during the regular season. So if nothing else, you guys are used to a trip like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I told our kids the other day, we're, we meet every day before we go to practice. But I said, here's one thing you got to understand. When you come to Trinity, you just don't play 10 games and go home. You know, you play to get in that um, uh, playoff uh, part of the season. And I said, if you're a ninth grader, you started playing football with us as a ninth grader. When you become a senior and you finished, you usually have played an extra. Um, these kids that are graduating right now, they've played an extra, I think, 11 ball games. Um, over the over the four years. So I said, instead of just playing 40, you've already played 51 games. I said, how much more experience is that for you than everybody else that just plays 10 games? You know, that really puts you in a situation where you've had more game reps, you've had more practice reps, 
you've had more situations that you can get ready to play for big games like getting on buses and going away and and uh, having to play in state semifinals and state finals. So mentally, it's great for us because, you know, we've been there and done that and our coaches have been there and done that. So we can relate that over to the kids. And so, you know, it's just a fun time of the year. Coach, leave us with this. we got about 90 seconds. Keys to victory. What needs to happen Friday night for you guys to be playing for a state title next week? Uh, well, they've got a great dual-threat quarterback. We have got to slow him down. Uh, you know, so we have got to play great defense, which we've done all year. We have played great defense. And then offensively, you know what? we just got to keep doing what we've been doing the last few weeks, you know, being able to run the football consistently, being able to catch the football. Bushy's done a great job distributing the ball around. A lot of kids have caught the ball. So it's just, you know, them, them simple factors. And what does it all come down to? Blocking, tackling, and taking care of the football. Berwyn Dormany of Trinity Christian. They're heading to Clearwater Friday night in the state final four with a shot at the state title on the line. Coach, best of luck down south on Friday night, and we certainly hope we're talking to you next week, my friend. Oh, me too, Hack. Y'all have a great week, buddy. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Five area high school football teams remain. They will all be playing in their respective Final Fours for their given classifications this week. Only one public school in Duval County remains, and that is the Mandarin Mustangs. Head coach Toby Bullock and Mandarin have won three consecutive road games, and they are now in the state Final Four. Coach, how we doing? I'm good, thank you. Coach, appreciate the time as always. All right, you went through Winter Park, Lake Mary, and Sanford Seminole. You went through Orlando like a hot knife through butter three weeks in a row. How gratifying was that three-week stretch for you guys? You know, it, it's – I don't know if it's any more because of the schools we played. It, it's, it's just awesome to be in the position we're in. I mean, to beat Orlando three times in a row, and not just Orlando schools, Coach, but really good Orlando schools. I mean, Sanford Seminole, obviously, Lake Mary is terrific. Winter Park as well. You guys were battle-tested over the last three games. Yeah, we were we were fortunate to to come up on the winning side in, in those three games and Seminole and Lake Mary were the top two ranked teams in the in the four M classification playoffs. So that was pretty neat to beat to beat them. It was a great run, no question about that. You got another game coming up on Friday night that we'll get to in a moment. But what about that, coach? Five teams from our area are playing in the state final four. You guys Trinity, Bowles, Bradford County, St. Augustine. Boy, it really speaks to the quality of football in our area. It does. It does. Um, you know, you never know how the ball is going to bounce. Uh, apparently, score-wise, you know, I, didn't, I don't watch the film, but score-wise, they looked very dominant over a team that I thought would be a lot tighter. It was actually kind of funny. It was 14, 14 and a half in our score, and we had made our adjustments. I had talked to the team and had a couple minutes. So I figured I'd pull up the score, see how everybody else was doing. Everybody else was kicking butt, and I'm in a dogfight. I was like, <laughs> where, where's where's my blowout in the third round of the playoffs, you know? Uh, you know, they're they're cruising at halftime, and, and I'm sweating bullets. But uh, it's awesome to see them go. You know, the coaches at those schools are excellent, and a lot of them have sustained success. I mean, Toblin at Bowles is phenomenal, and, you know, Trinity is Trinity for a reason. And, uh, you know, Braddock is 
you know, maybe the best young coach or best coach in my age bracket. I think we're about the same age in the area and has been for a long time. Toby Bullock of Mandarin here with us, getting ready for the state final four on Friday night. You are the last public school in Duval County standing, and I think you've been that way now for a couple of weeks. And only St. Augustine and Bradford, the two other public schools in our area, does that mean anything to you, Coach? I mean, private schools, obviously, with Bowles and Trinity, they're established and have long tenures and, and football programs. But it's obviously a little bit tougher in a public school environment. Yeah, you guys have thrived this year. Well, we've been very fortunate. Uh, we've been healthy, um, and that's one of the big keys. It, there is a lot of pride with it. Um, it would be a little bit more pride if someone in the 904 could actually see us play. Uh, you, they didn't have to drive three hours a, a week to see us play. Uh, it would have been really neat to get a home game. We really thought we were going to get a home game for the fourth round of the playoffs, but uh, it would mean a little bit more. Um being the only school uh, to represent Jacksonville public school-wise. Uh, but honestly, you know, I don't think you think about it too much. You're just happy to get a chance to, to go to a state title, which still is very weird to even say. You've been through Orlando three weeks in a row, back to back to back. Now you get to get on a bus and go a little further, about four and a half hours down to Coconut Creek. i got to be honest. Monarch High School is a new one for me. I hadn't really heard about them. What do we know about them? Very talented team. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know anything about I'd never heard of the school until six weeks, six days ago uh, when I knew it was a, a possibility that we'd have to play them. And so we looked them up. They have two really, really talented young receivers. They got a you know good defense uh, as far as they fly around. They're, they're scrappy in what they do. Um, and they take advantage of your mistakes. Uh, they don't have a home school uh, field, so we'll have to actually play at Coconut Creek High School. Monarch doesn't actually have a, a, a stadium of their own. Um, I'm not 100% sure how long they've actually been around. I was told, I'm not 100% sure, but I was told Calvin Ridley is from Monarch High School. Oh, well, there you go. That's interesting. Um you guys are road warriors at this point, right? I mean, getting on a bus and traveling for your kids on a Friday morning is probably like ho-hum at this point, correct? Yeah, it doesn't. It, it We have our itinerary set. We know what time we're leaving. We know where we're stopping. We know what we're doing. Um, it, uh, yeah, it really, the only thing that stinks about the road games is the drive after the game. You know, you're, you're tired, you're ready to go home and, and either start preparing for the next team or go to bed, and to have to drive three or four hours is the only thing that really stinks. But the road game, as far as affecting us, you know, I don't think the road game, that, I, I think we've gotten past that. If uh, we were, you know, you know, unfortunate to lose, I don't, I don't believe it would be because we were on the road. Final moments with Toby Bullock, the head coach of Mandarin. Coach, 4M is no joke. I mean, that's the best schools and the biggest schools in Miami, Orlando, Tampa, obviously Jacksonville, and there's only four of you left, and you're one of them. I mean, did you know coming into this year that you might have a special group? I knew we had the talent. Um, you never know if the ball's going to jump your way and, and bounce and do everything you need it to do. You don't know if you're going to stay healthy enough. I knew we had the talent. Um to go as far as we wanted to go. 
Um, and it's it's an awesome feeling to have a chance to to earn the right to play for a state title this week. But uh, yeah, I knew we had the talent to do it. Um, it just came down to whether we were going to have the discipline to, to be where we be and have our assignments and execute those assignments to get that chance. All right, Coach, keys to victory Friday night. What needs to happen for you guys to be playing for a state title next week? First, stay who we are, stay true to who we are. Um, and it really is as simple as, you know, clock, tackle, run. <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, if our guys do what they're supposed to do, you know, we can play with anybody. And uh, if we don't, you know, we don't turn the ball over, we're not careless with the ball, if we're tackling well, you know, those are the keys. I think those are the keys most weeks for any team, but I don't know that they've been more true than this week for us. Three consecutive road playoff wins. They're going for four on Friday night. Four-and-a-half-hour drive to Coconut Creek Monarch High School. The winner will be in the state championship game next week. Toby Bullock of Mandarin. Coach, congratulations on a great year. Go get the W on Friday night. Thank you so much, Hacker. Plus two. And the high school spotlight rolls on. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. It is state final four time. And Northeast Florida has five teams remaining in the state final four. It has been a very good showing in the playoffs this year. Let's talk about all of them with Justin Barney of Channel 4. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Justin, how you doing? Not too bad, Hack. Got through uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday and uh, still a lot of football left to talk about, so that's a good thing. Justin, five teams in the state final four this week for their given classifications that seems like a lot, right? I mean, it's been a good year in the postseason. Yeah, it had a good year. I think we had uh, roughly that same amount last year, but unfortunately uh, what happened, the state semifinal round, all those guys lost last year. So we'll see if that can change this time around. It was the first year since 2000, and I believe only the 10th time in about the last 50 years that has happened for our area to be completely shut out of a state championship game. I don't think that happens this week. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good chance for representation uh, next week in Tallahassee. Quickly, two team seasons did come to an end last Friday, Baker County and Bartram Trail. Justin, a quick thought from you on both schools. Yeah, I thought a very good season for, for both of those teams. You know, you looked at Baker County, had a little bit of a rough start, got things going. Kevin Mays has, has built him just a consistent performer down there in Baker County with a pretty simple formula, defense and a strong running game. You saw that develop throughout the year. They beat Uly twice, including the round before in the regional semifinals. Uh, no shame in losing to Bradford for the second year in the regional final. So good thing. A uh, good year for, for Kevin Mays and the Wildcats. And, uh, you know, first year at Bartram Trail, for Coach Corey Johns, and I don't think a bad year for them either. I know uh, you lose to Buholtz in the regional final. It's a successful season. Uh, Buholtz, one of the best teams in the state. And again, you play a schedule like you did, and and you know that could I've mentioned it before. I think it could have the opposite effect for what you intend, and that's uh, beat your guys down a little bit and, and demoralize them from having a tough regular season against the likes of IMG and uh, those kind of guys. But they did not do that for Bartram. Uh, they won two playoff games in the Panhandle and came back here and lost to Buholtz. No shame in that one. Good first year for Corey Johns in uh, Bartram Trail. Quickly, Justin, before we get to the playoff games, Bartram, Fleming, Oakleaf, and Creekside, none of them could beat Gainesville Buholtz. Is there going to be reclassifications, redistricting, or are those schools going to have to figure out how to get over that Buholtz wall? 
yeah, it's uh, reclassification is on the table. I think there's going to be some more playoff conversation. Is Suburban Metro working? And uh, I think that's going to come around the corner here soon. Um, you know, that's I think the board of directors meeting is not until next year, the first part of next year. So I know uh, I know coach is not happy with that. They used to you know, like to have schedules done in January, February, and not still be talking about what we're going to do in the upcoming year. But uh, Buholtz is, has been in that Bartram district for a little bit of time even predating uh, the, the last couple of years. So yeah, you got to find a way around Buholtz, but they can't be good forever. Everything runs in cycles. You're going to have some of those guys, the, the Johnson at quarterback and the Miles Graham, the, the big athlete, those guys, uh, sons of Gators legends, they're going to graduate at some point. So um, it, it'll be cyclical and those Bartrams and the Creekside and the Oak Leafs, the Flemings will be right back in that conversation. Justin Barney of Channel 4. All right, Justin, five teams remaining. Let's begin with Trinity Christian. Now they have a little bit of a travel going their way they have to i believe go down to clearwater to take on a very good football team about four and a half five hour drive what are your thoughts on trinity christian on friday night i think they have a good chance of winning this game i you know yeah it's, it's a tough trip and clearwater central's 12 and 0 um you know clearwater came up here last season and uh it beat uc at the finish and got to the state championship game um, i thought uc should have won that game last year i think trinity can win this game this season, of course, uh, Clearwater Central, a very good team. Um, you know, they beat Berkeley Prep in uh, the week one, a Berkeley Prep team that beat Bowles 42-7 to seven, uh, in week 11 of the season. So they're a very good team. Um, I think Trinity has a chance to win this game just because the running game is strong. You've added a Cam Anderson to the backfield, who's been a very good complement to Darnell Rogers. Colin Hurley's throwing better. The offensive line is protecting better. You've got receivers who can catch the ball and do something after the play. I don't think Trinity Christian is going to be um, scared at this type of performance. Even you know, even if you've got a Shamanad and Madonna waiting for you on the other side, uh, I don't think anybody's going to beat Shamanad. I think they're probably the best team in the entire state, regardless of classification. They could slug it out with IMG. Um, so I do think Trinity uh, wins this game, and I think uh, they probably get waxed in the following round against Shamanad. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, but if Trinity does win, the conversation next week will be all about Verwin Dormany, right? He'll be one win away from, I guess, tying Corky Rogers, correct, for state titles? He will, yeah, it will be win. Uh, I don't think that happens this year, but yeah, it, it would be in that uh, conversation too is trinity red get number 10 so that is i know that's important for for verlin and uh, that trinity family i just don't know if it happens this year uh as, as long as shamanad's standing in the way justin barney of channel four let's go out to bradford county they will be at home in stark on friday night against pensacola catholic i talked to jamie rogers earlier on and all he kept talking about with pensacola catholic is they are gigantic along the lines of scrimmage yeah, and, and again, I don't think that matters. I think with with Bradford, their defense, we saw how good it was last year, and they're better this year. And I don't know how that happened because Bradford was pretty darn impressive last year, but if they have uh, done anything, uh, they've managed to uh, kind of raise the bar even higher than it was in Stark. I mean, the, just a list of guys, linebackers galore, Jason Clark, Duke Lewis, Devin McBride, Torn Brazil, Dejon Jenks, Khalil Cummings, those guys all are just so good together. You've given up 49 points all season long, and I was completely mistaken on the game last week, the Baker County game. I thought that was going to be a slugfest, and, you know, Jamie and, and the defense and those guys, I think, took that a little bit personal that, 
they fig- people were figuring this was going to be a close game, and uh, they left no doubt 43-0. There's one common opponent between these two teams, Swanee. Um, Catholic beat them 41-3, and uh, Bradford beat Swanee 35-3. So, um, you know, again, I think a, a, a good matchup, and um, I, I still don't think Bradford loses this game at home. I think they're on that collision course with Coco, a rematch of last year's state semifinal game, only that one will come in the state championship. Bradford's first state championship game appearance since 1985. Yeah, of course, that'll be about a five-and-a-half-hour drive for Pensacola Catholic down here to play Bradford on Friday night out there at Bradford County High school justin barney of channel four here with us on 1010 xl the bulls bulldogs you'll hear them on 10 10 a.m friday night their reward for going to the state semifinal is a trip to miami to play what i believe is a top 10 nationally ranked miami norland team i was talking to matthew toblin the bulls coach earlier apparently norland justin has six defensive linemen six d linemen with power five offers on their team this year, they are a machine, no question about it. Yeah, and um, you know that's what Bowles does. They they grind through the regular season. They get these state semifinal matchups, and that you think they have no shot in, and they um, they bang it out and, and have a good showing. I mean, last year they go to Plantation American Heritage. I thought they were going to get run off the field, and they end up losing a seventeen to ten game. So Bowles will be prepared for this game. And you look at Bowles this year, and they're they're. 0-3 to start the season. People are kind of, you know, saying it's uh, it's it's just not the year. Bowles is, is dead. And lo and behold, they're in their fifth consecutive state semifinal under Matt Tobin. These coaches and the players know the tradition. They prepare for this time of year. I think they're going to be extremely well prepared for Norland. I don't think they win that game, but I think they'll have a better showing than people realize. Um, you know, staying on the other side of that, it's uh, Berkeley Prep or Plantation American Heritage. Um, but I think Norland is going to be a little bit too much. But again, there's a reason Bowles is in this game every single year they're comfortable with it i do think it'll be a closer game even though everything kind of points against bowls i do think it'll be um, a, a little bit closer than people think matt toblin has been to six state semifinals five with bowls and one at Pontevedra. he's been to a couple of state championships in there as well still doesn't have the payoff ultimately at the end to show for it but man you would have to think among all coaches in the state of florida He's probably on a pretty high list among the better coaches and the jobs they've done that still haven't reached the top of the mountain yet. Yeah, and they were there a couple years ago against Miami, Washington, and uh, they had a chance and um, just did not get it done. Um, he had a shot against Plantation American Heritage, a game where uh, you know the Patrick Sertans of the world were playing on that team, and Nick Trani um, nearly led them to a state championship in that game. They were up 14-0 on, on Heritage in that game. Um, they've had a good battle with Coco, and they just have not been able to get it done. The second half in those games have really, really hurt Bulls, and at some point, he's going to get it done. At some point, I think Matt will get a state championship. You know, it's kind of like the, the Phil Mickelson years ago when people always referred to Phil as the, the best player never to win a major. And then all of a sudden he starts winning majors right and left. Uh, I think that's uh, that's similar to Matt. I think he will get there. He's been so steady and good at getting there with teams that you thought had no chance at getting there. And again, coaching makes so much difference at the high school football level. You saw that with Corky Rogers. Even when he did not have the horses, they still managed to get there. You've seen it with Bowles and Matt Toblin. You've seen it with Verlin Dormany. You saw it with Joey Wiles all the time at St. Augustine. So coaching makes such a big difference. And Matt is one of those coaches, and that coaching staff is one of those units that you got to count on. You count on every year to get here because they've done it time and again. They've got a recipe and a formula, and those players believe. A couple of more for Justin Barney of Channel 4. Bowles is on the road. Trinity is on the road. 
We talked about Bradford being at home. St. Augustine will be at home. The undefeated Yellow Jackets in St. John's County Friday night as they welcome in a Fort Myers-Dunbar team that's going to make about that four-and-a-half, five-hour drive up to St. Augustine. What do you think about the Yellow Jackets' chances on Friday? I love St. Augustine's chances. I, I talked to Brian Braddock at the beginning of the year, and I used to work in St. Augustine as a sports editor down there at the paper, so I covered so many of these St. Augustine teams over the years uh, from 2001 all the way to 2012, and I saw so many of these St. Augustine teams, some, some of the best teams in program history, and I, I likened this team, this, this current St. Augustine team, to the one back in 2003, a team that included sophomores and Brandon James, Quentin Hancock, Jacquez Rickerson, a lot of these young guys who kind of cut their teeth early um, had a good showing when they were sophomores, but really took that next step in 2004. And, and by this time they were seniors, they won state championships. And you know, I talked to Brian at length about that during the um, before the kickoff this year. And he said, yeah, you know, the, the parallels are certainly there. Brian was a coach back then at St. Augustine or Joey Wiles. And I really think the St. Augustine team, if not this year, um, next year they win a state championships, but but this year they have gotten it done. They've got a great running back in Devontae Lyons, a very underrated running back, Lachlan Hewlett, one of the best quarterbacks in the area, junior. And the receivers of St. Augustine are just an embarrassment of riches. Carl Jenkins, Jr., Trenton Jones, Miles Simmons, um, just so many guys. Samorian Wingo, that receiving core runs four and five deep. And they had a little a little trouble last weekend, shocked on. I think they needed that. They got, kind of got socked in the mouth, and they haven't been hit like that this year. And they came back, and they ended up winning 35-26. They needed a game like that. I think this is a state championship caliber team. I think they win big this week. Um, and it's going to be Vanguard or Mainland in that state championship game. I would love to see that. And I think St. Augustine has that talent. Again, they've got defensive guys, too. Ja'Kai Singleton, Drake Lusk, Braylon James. Just so many guys on this team that just remind me so much of those 04 and 05 St. Augustine teams. 04 team lost in the semifinals to Bulls. Best Bulls team I've ever seen with Riley Skinner and uh, Rocky Ross and those guys. And then by 2015 or 2005, St. Augustine went 15-0 and won a state title. I think that's the uh, trajectory this St. Augustine team is on. Yeah, Dunbar, somewhat of a Cinderella. They were the four seed in their region in South Florida. They've come all the way through to the state semis, and they will make the trip up to St. Augustine on Friday. That leaves us with Mandarin as the fifth and final team. We'll talk about they've gone through Orlando like a hot knife through butter. Justin, Winter Park, Lake Mary, Sanford Seminole, all on the road. Three victories back to back to back. The reward for that is a longer trip now, four and a half hours, to play a Monarch team, Coconut Creek, I believe, that I truthfully don't know a lot about, yet they're obviously very good being in the state semifinals. Yeah, and and Mandarin, the last time he was here... Toby Bullock was the offensive coordinator under Bobby uh, Bobby Ramsey, and um, it was just a, a kind of everything lined up together. They were six and four in the regular season, and uh, you know what happened? They run the table in the playoffs. They beat Columbus in the state championship game, and uh, you know Monarch is not a familiar team in terms of uh, the the creme de la creme of, of high school football. But Calvin Ridley uh, went to high school football, played high school football there, so they do have some tradition there. But I think this Mander team again reminds me a little bit of that. That Manor team in 2018, um, a little bit of a kind of an a un, not, not say underwhelming regular season, but a regular season where you thought, man, well, 
thought a little bit more was there. They were seven and three in the regular season, but man, they have just been lights out in the playoffs. And it, it's everything is working together with them. You know, the passing attack and how good that has been with Tremel and, and Jamie, but Tion Weiss, the running back again, he is an underrated running back. So good out of the backfield, 1,500 yards rushing, 22 touchdowns. Deshard Westcott, he's the other half of that powerful running attack. And then the defense, too, has come up big. We know about Drake Stubbs, uh, the big safety there, but Jackson Copeland, linebacker, uh, has been phenomenal. Grant Pettigrew, he's got 18 tackles for loss. The A.J. Belgrave shorter, I mean, just the list goes on of guys who are contributing, making plays, and have allowed them to, to not only have to, you know, Jamie and Tremell are not going to get it done every, every game. You're going to need other guys. Amanron has been the epitome of that. Last time they were this far in the playoffs, they won a state championship. I think they've got a good chance at playing for one again, and uh, the team they beat for a state championship under Carson Beck and Demario Douglas, Miami Columbus, uh, on the other side of that uh, bracket as well. You know, Columbus would love some redemption at the expense of Mandarin. Justin, not to put words in your mouth, but you seem pretty optimistic about most of our teams on Friday night. I think uh, I think there's a good chance that uh, that we've got a few teams remaining after uh, after this week. I think Bowles is in trouble. I think Mandarin has a good chance to win. Um, I think Bradford wins. I think San Augustine wins. So I do think we have a pretty good shot at getting uh, at more than uh, more than half of these teams in the postseason. And as well, if we go up to Georgia in our Pierce County region, I think we uh, we get the Bears in a state championship too. They're playing Fitzgerald. And, uh, Former university Christian coach, uh, Robbie Pruitt's son, Tucker Pruitt, coaching Fitzgerald. So a little bit of a local tie there. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, know you're very busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll do it again next week. Take care, Hack. Thanks for having me. And thank you to Justin Barney of Channel 4 for joining us here on the High School Spotlight. Again, five teams in Northeast Florida in our listening area are playing in their respective state Final Four games this week. For their given classification, best of luck to Mandarin, to Bowles, to Trinity Christian, to St. Augustine, and to Bradford County. My big takeaways of the evening here on Hacker After Dark, where there are certainly a couple. Again, the committee came out with the rankings earlier today. Rankings don't really mean much. The center of the college football world will be on championship weekend and then Sunday morning. That's when the rankings matter, and at that point, Do they take the four best or the four most deserving? Again, I think the biggest chaos factor this week would be if Washington wins and Michigan wins, they take two of the four playoff spots. And then if Georgia beats, I'm sorry, if Alabama beats Georgia and Florida State beats Louisville, all right? So Washington's in, Michigan's in. If Alabama beats Georgia, then what do you do? Alabama's got to go, right? They're the SEC champion. They're one loss. Well, wait a minute. What about Texas in the Big 12? If Texas beats Oklahoma State, Texas one loss, Big 12 champion, who beat Alabama? What do you do with the Georgia Bulldogs? A back-to-back defending national champion that have only have one loss on their resume. And then Florida State, if they're undefeated, but with a backup quarterback. It is craziness what could happen. I hope it does get a little chaotic the last year of a four-team playoff. Again, you won't have this problem next year with 12 teams. If you're team 13 next year, I'm sorry. If you're 9-3 and three or even 10-2, and two, whatever, you lost a couple of games. This year, you're talking about 12-1 and one teams or potentially a 13-0 and o team being left at the altar. It'll be fascinating to see. Well, that'll about wrap it up for what has been a very busy late night show 
our Tuesday show here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly thank you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Justin Barney of Channel 4. Thank you to Jamie Rogers, the head coach of the Bradford County Tornadoes. Thank you to Verlin Dormany, the head coach of Trinity Christian. And thank you to Toby Bullock, the head coach of Mandarin. Three of the five coaches that will be in state Final Four action Friday night. We will have Matthew Toblin of Bowles and Brian Braddock of St. Augustine later in the week. But again, thank you to Coach Bullock of Mandarin, Coach Dormany of Trinity Christian, and certainly Coach Rogers out there at Bradford County. Thank you to John Shipley of Jaguar Report for joining us to preview Jags Bengals and look back on the big Jags win over the Texans. And as always, on Tuesday, my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark as we wrapped up Florida's season, thank goodness, and looked ahead to the college football playoff selection show. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Tuesday night with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.